Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And each and every Saturday, we bring you the very best in entertainment. We like to shine a big old spotlight on in all that is good in the entertainment industry. And there's a lot good going on this week, isn't there, Jeff? Right. And, you know, usually there's so much bad we could focus on, but we tend to focus on the good. And like you said, there's a lot going on. Let's start off with the news that I think makes Disney very happy anyways, and that is... Good for the streaming world a little bit? Maybe. Disney, now it's official, has full control of Hulu. So in addition to their Disney Plus app, they're going... to roll out in November. Right. They're going to have full control over Hulu. So we're, we're... we're suggesting that maybe Disney is going to be pushing some of more of their adult content toward Hulu. Is that right, Cole? That's always been the idea because Disney Plus is going to be your devoted home for family-friendly entertainment. That's, yes. That's the one that we'll end up focusing here on the show and telling you all about. But Hulu is going to be for all those other Fox and Disney properties um, that they can kind of push over there. So how long until Disney owns Warner Brothers? And Disney owns uh, Netflix and And Sony. The world. Yeah. I give it like five years. I I wouldn't be surprised if the next president isn't like an actual person. It's just a corporation. Disney. Disney, the next president of the United States. I'd vote for him. Anyway, so that's news. We'll, uh, We'll wait for that to pan out to see whether it's good or bad. But there is other good news, and it's not Disney-related. Oh, boy. It is Sony. Jumanji 3, or really the sequel to Jumanji Welcome, Welcome to the to Jungle, the jungle right, has completed filming and has a release date of December t- uh, 13th, 2019. It's been on that December, so we knew it was coming out later this year. It still just is called Jumanji 3 on the Wikipedia page of all the releases that will come out this year. Right. I'm waiting for... For a better name, I'm waiting for anything else to come out about this movie and a trailer, maybe anything. This is a movie that's coming out later this year that we still know very little about. Well, this will just finished. Cole, this will get you excited. You've got the entire original cast, all of the kid version of the kids and all of the adult video game versions of the kids. We've also got Reese Darby, who is the... Uh, non-playing, what are they called, NPC, non-playing character or something like that. Good video game knowledge like there, Jeff. gives all the exposition. He was great in the movie. He'll be back. Uh, as well as uh, Nick Jonas and Colin Hanks are supposed to be coming back too. Okay. We'll get Aquafina, a new character in Aquafina. Danny Glover. Okay. Either Danny Glover or Donald Glover. I think you know more about this movie than I know about the first one. Really? I Didn't you watch it? I didn't. Cole. There's a reason there's a sequel to this movie. There's it a made reason money. This movie made like somewhere between 800 million to a billion dollars worldwide. It was sure. a monster hit. Okay. And it totally threw me by surprise. I was not expecting much from this movie after watching and the you trailers. Didn't get much. Well, hey, Cole, this is a movie like any good video game. There's a rewatchability factor here. You know those. What are some video games? Have you, you rewatched it since? I've probably seen it eight times at least. <laughs> really? I mean, casually. Like I've, okay. I've saw it 
seriously for three or four times. And then, you know, my kids love it so much that I've walked in and out of the room and they've been watching it. That from surprises time to time. me, Jeff. I'm impressed. It is a great film. I, it was totally threw me by surprise after watching the trailer. I didn't think it was going to be anything special. And there was just tremendous word of mouth, kept making a ton of money. And yeah, we loved it. I'll go back. I'll watch it this week and I'll tell you what I think next week. Okay, Cole. Um, now, some sad news. The good news is there will eventually be a Bond 25 movie. Yes. I mean, but there have been so many developments with this movie, so many uh, setbacks that it could almost fall under your This Week in DC News. This Week in Bond News. Right. They change their minds every week. <laughs> they don't know a title. You know, someone's coming, someone's going. This one was just an, an unfortunate accident. Uh, Daniel Craig was injured on the set of this untitled Bond 25 movie. Doing his own stunt? Running down the street, and he, you know, landed on his ankle awkwardly or something. And Yeah, so it'll be a little bit longer before we have a Bond 25. Usually they come come out around Thanksgiving. I don't know if that's happening this year. I don't know. Maybe they'll have to break with their regular Thanksgiving release. We'll see. Yeah, but Rami Malek is going to be the villain. We know that. How do you feel about that, Cole? I I love his work in Mr. Robot, okay. um, which was a TV series. And then, of course, we all saw him and you know hundreds of millions of dollars worth of people saw him in Bohemian Rhapsody. He's he an got interesting the Oscar. actor. He got an Oscar. And I think that... He'll make a good Bond villain because he's got a little bit of that ham in him while being able to be serious and kind of creepy at times. Will he be Javier Bardem good, though? Probably not. Okay. Will he be Jaws or Oddball or See, I I love those examples you just shared because those are are examples of – Really campy villains that are amazing villains. So you don't have to be dark and mysterious or like really mean to be. You can be super campy and still be one of the best Bond villains like Odd Job and I mean, Jaws. In a Daniel Craig Bond, you got to be a little bit serious. Right. Daniel Craig lives in the real world as opposed to some of the other Bonds that we've had. Well, and then also, you know, we Cole, you mentioned several very old films, James Bond films. But anybody who is familiar with some of the actors from some might call it the golden age of Hollywood would certainly be familiar with the actress and singer Doris Day, who passed away at the age of 97. Nice life. My goodness. I'm surprised at the number of old uh, golden age actors that are able to live well into their 90s these days because it seems like Back then, for the most part, people were not living that long. My parents are a little older, and so I grew up with some of these Golden Age of Hollywood movies. And I didn't really know the actors or actresses per se when I was young. I just kind of recognized the titles. And so something like Pillow Talk that I watched plenty on Turner Classic Movies growing up, that's got Doris Day in it. She got an Oscar nomination for that. Right. I mean, people that know movies would know, but me that just kind of was watching old movies as a kid, I had no idea who these people were. The Man Who Knew Too Much, she was in that Alfred Hitchcock movie. And I looked up her IMDb page, and she had more credits in her singer page than her actor page. And she – her songs 
have continued to appear in TV shows and movies. I mean, recently is last year. So she was getting paid all the way up until she passed. And now I'm sure whoever is in charge of her estate is going to continue to do quite well. You betcha. So, like, again, think of that golden age of music. Dream a little dream of me. That's Doris mm-hmm. Day singing. And... Que sera, sera from mm-hmm. uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Fly Me to the Moon. Oh, my goodness. Man, she had a great career. Well, rest in peace, Doris Day. And our condolences from Screen Cleaning. Once I had a secret love That lived within the heart of me All too soon my secret love Became impatient to be free. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. You know, it's no secret that here on Screen Cleaning, Cole and I do our darndest to not only shine a big old spotlight and all that is good in entertainment. But we also try to find entertainment that is appropriate for kids, that parents can enjoy with their kids. Today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do a little bit of a switcheroo. We are going to talk about entertainment that is meant for kids, but that is just as entertaining Good for adults. For adults, yeah, right. This, these are the types of shows that adults might even sit down and watch when their kids are not around. <gasps> Imagine that. Watching kids' shows. You might not admit that you would watch all of these alone without your kids. But we will. We will definitely. So we are going to share, we're each going to share five picks of shows that, if they're not obscure to you, they will be lesser known or maybe a little forgotten. So we want to bring them back into the spotlight for you. I'm going to start with my number five, which I it requires a little bit of uh, context or background, if you will, because... When I was in seventh grade, science was not my strong suit. Still isn't to this day. But I would always have fun in my science class whenever my extremely boring and strict science teacher would pull out his videotape of Bill Nye the Science Guy and put it in. And science would all of a sudden become fun and a little more understandable for me. Maybe science even rules. Right. However, he would always skip over... The theme song to Bill Nye, the science guy, which is unforgivable. That's one of the theme songs that you have to listen to and want to every single time it's on. Netflix now gives you that option sometimes, but when it's Bill Nye, you never skip the intro. So basically, science made easy, made fun. Uh, Kids are going to love it. And I thought it was interesting how he came up with this name, Bill Nye, the science guy. He was in an improv comic troupe back in Seattle. And some other cast member said something science-related, and Bill Nye corrected him. And the cast member uh, improvised the line, Who do you think you are, Bill Nye the science guy? And he was born. Huh. Why, yeah, I do. I believe he was doing a science character in this troupe already. But uh, thank you. Thank you very much for that little ad lib. Strange guy that will never get any credit for it. Right. So what is your number five, Cole? I will keep us on the live action train. And this is actually the only live action entry I have for the list because I find that it's very hard to find a show that's driven at kids that's live action. Either it has 
kid actors, which aren't always the best and most mature in their acting abilities, sure. which is understandable. Or it has a bunch of adults that are acting ridiculous and kid-like. Right. And so, so every Disney show you every, just name Every right Disney okay. show. But – and I will have a Disney show later on that's animated. That's okay. But the one live action show that I can forgive and can understand is one that really is devoted to its genuineness. Okay. Um, the, the character and the main character is just so likable and pure that, yeah, he's playing to kids, but adults can just appreciate and see, wow, this is a guy and this is a role model I would love to be. It is Pittsburgh's own – Mr. Rogers and oh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Thank you, Cole, for mentioning Mr. Rogers. He is just – he is such a beautiful man and, and his goal was just to make good, nice children's and family programming. And for our show to be supportive of the family programming kind of thing, Mr. Rogers definitely gets a place here. And at the same time, he didn't really shy away from some of the heavier topics. Oh, no. But he would explain it in a loving, caring way. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. Every, and again, every time an adult tries to act goofy for the kids, I think, no, we could be doing this so much better. Look at Mr. Rogers. Well, and basically you're, when you do that, you're talking down to kids. Mm-hmm, which and he never did. Right. He treated them as equals. Amazing. My number four is uh, it's animated kind of, but it's not live action either. Okay. It is Claymation. Ooh. And anything from Ardman Studios is going to get my attention. Um, if I could have chosen a movie, I would have because I love all of the Wallace and Gromit shorts and uh, Chicken Run. Um, but this is actually a TV show that was later made into a movie from Ardman Studios. It's called Shaun the Sheep. What's amazing about this series is that it can be universally appealing because there's no dialogue. So you have all these animals doing funny things, you know, things that humans typically only do, and it is genuinely funny. So you should definitely check out Shaun the Sheep, and you really gain an appreciation for the animators because you can just imagine the painstaking process that they go through to shape these animals in all the different expressions and movements to get these very short animated sequences the the amount of time that goes into it is just astounding. So that's my number four pick, Sean the Sheep. Interesting. My number four pick is an older television show from the Hanna-Barbera cartoon days. Because okay. if I'm looking at children's television, I'm looking at cartoons, Hanna-Barbera deserves some kind of shout out for me because it was such an integral part to my childhood. Um, I have chosen the Laugh Olympics. What? I've never heard of this. It had one season and sort of a half of another season. But it came right on the heels of the Battle of the Network Stars that was going on in the late 70s and early 80s. And it was the Battle of the Hanna-Barbera Stars. You had three teams, the Yogi Yahooies, the Scooby Doobies, (laughs) and the Really Rottens, who would always cheat those Really Rottens. Um, And they would go and do these wacky Olympic kind of things as a team, and then one team would win and get the gold medal at the end. And it was just so fun. And for me, I I mean, I love the Marvel movies just like everyone in the world loves the Marvel movies, but I really enjoy seeing universes come together and team-ups for things that you didn't normally... Sure. yeah. ...that we didn't used to be able to expect out of movies. Now every movie does it. But... Wouldn't it be great if we had Planet of the Apes meets Jurassic Park? That... 
and have instead of the apes riding horses, they could ride dinosaurs. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be I good. would pay for that. So yeah, before before there was a Marvel universe and before all these universes collided, the Hanna Barbera cartoon universe collided, and everyone mm-hmm. competed against each other in a in an Olympics setting in the Laugh Olympics, yeah. commentated by none other than Snagglepuss. Oh, of course. <laughs> and you dug deep for that. Thank you for doing that. Um, mine is not that obscure, but I don't really hear too many people talking about it, which is a shame because it's not a bad show. And uh, I've watched a couple episodes of it, and I I will probably go back and finish it. But it's called Lemony Snickets, A Series of Unfortunate Events. And as you mentioned, Cole, it is difficult to find a live-action kids show that adults will enjoy. And this show does it quite well. The production value is quite good. The supporting players are quite good. It's definitely tamer than the movie, meaning that I wouldn't say it's as scary for kids or as threatening um, or dark as the movie is. Ominous. Right. Uh, All those things describe Jim Carrey. But I much prefer the movie, actually, with Jim Carrey. Because the Count Olaf character, who in this instance is played by Neil Patrick Harris of How I Met Your Mother fame and Doogie Howser fame, that's kind of obscure. But um, And he doesn't quite have the Count Olafness that I like in Jim Carrey, meaning that Count Olaf is somebody who professes to be this wonderful actor, but he's really not a good actor. And Jim Carrey plays him as somebody who's not only not a good actor, but an overactor, which he is wont to do from time to time. It kind of fit perfectly. It fit perfectly. And the different characters that he got to play were all hilarious. If you ever want, I know I'm getting off topic here, but if you ever want some good laughs, watch the special features on the movie for Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. And you just get to see Jim Carrey improvise in these different characters. And it's hilarious. But do check out Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events on Netflix. So you got to talk about, kind of got mired in the reboot there where there's two different characters playing the same guy. Sure. I now get to talk about my favorite iteration of a character that has had at least five different movie versions of him. Okay. I think the TV one is the best. And I am talking about none other than the Caped Crusader. Batman. Whoa. Kevin Conroy's voice in Batman the Animated Series and then the subsequent Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, which I've gushed about before on this show as well, is my definitive Batman. No matter what Michael Keaton or Val Kilmer or George Clooney or even Adam West or Ben Affleck or now Robert Pattinson, it is Kevin Conroy's voice that truly can switch between Bruce Wayne and the scary Batman. So... Let me ask you this. Is Mark Hamill the definitive Joker for you then? See, I I do love – oh, and I guess I omitted Christian Bale, right? But I I love Heath Ledger. I love The Dark Knight <laughs> just a little bit too much. But uh, Mark Hamill's right there. It's very close. It's interesting that you mentioned Kevin Conroy's voice because he does a great job of just like nice, calm Bruce Wayne voice. Yeah. And then he gravels it up a little bit for Batman without the use of computers. And without – Going over the top. A lot of people started making fun of Christian Bale's Batman voice. Kevin Conroy did a Batman voice, but it wasn't ridiculous enough to make fun of. It made you scared because that's what he's doing to these criminals. He's putting the fear of the bat into them with his voice without 
But not to say anything against Christian Bale because I love I mean, I Christian Bale in the role. Shame on you. Yeah. Um, okay. Batman the Animated Series, number three on my list. It's a good pick. It's a good, solid pick. Uh, my number two is a little show called Gravity Falls. And this is a show about two siblings who go to spend the summer with their great uncle, Stan. They call him Grunkle Stan. And this guy is just kind of a sleazeball who has this tourist trap in this really enigmatic town called Gravity Falls. And Gravity Falls is almost like if you could have a kid's version of Twin Peaks, you might have something like Gravity Falls. Okay. Now, it's not as out there as Twin Peaks, not by a long shot, but it's certainly weird Mm -hmm. and very, very funny. The best... The greatest decision the creators of this show made was casting Kristen Shaw as Mabel Pines, sister to Dipper Pines, who really shows why animators continue to go back to her time and time again. She could have a solid career just as it is in voiceover, and yet we see her on camera time and time again, including in one of my favorite shows, The Last Man on Earth. Um, the other thing about this show is that you you feel like they are writing for adults. You don't feel like they're writing for kids. And there's a lot of in there's a lot in the show that makes you feel nostalgic, but they never reference something specifically. What I mean by that is there is an entire episode dedicated to a character from a fighting game coming off the screen and helping Dipper Pines face off against this bully. Right. And it's definitely a ripoff or a tip of the Homage. hat yeah, to Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. But they never mention anything specifically. And I love the the parodies in this TV series. It is. I can appreciate that because it is really easy to say, hey, guys, remember that old movie, The Empire Strikes Back, when right. Spider-Man does his thing and Which Civil is a War. bit of a crutch because you know you're going to rope in a, a portion of your audience with that nostalgia. Exactly. But you, this show does well because you can feel nostalgic without yeah. taking the easy way out. Yeah. That's cool. Parody done well. There you go. Gravity Falls. All right. So I'm going to stay with animation with my number two pick now. And this is Disney's Phineas and Ferb. I've never seen it. This is a fantastic show, and I am positive that this show is fine for adults because a lot of these other ones that I've mentioned, I grew up with, right? Mr. Rogers, I will always see through my kid looking up to him glasses. Uh, Same with Batman. The first time as a small child, I got to see him on my television. I thought, this is Batman, of course. But Phineas and Ferb is different. I was 18 years old, graduated from high school before I gave this show a chance because I was too old for cartoons by that point. When you're a high schooler, you get too cool for a lot of things. But With I, the exception of maybe The Simpsons. Yes. But, but that's still more watch. adult animation. Like, I, I, I should clarify. I don't watch the new episodes. I go back and watch the old ones. Right. But with this list, we're trying to hit shows that were for kids. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's something I want to talk about with, with a couple of years as well. You've found these TV shows that aren't ridiculous in a way – when you said they were written for adults, there are a lot of animations on Cartoon Network and, and these other kind of programs. But aren't appropriate for that kids. That aren't appropriate for kids. Right. These are shows today that we're talking about that are kids' shows. And Phineas and Ferb is clearly a show for kids Yeah, that is written so adults can enjoy it. It's a show that's extremely – and 
perfectly formulaic. The <laughs> Every single show starts off with Phineas saying, I know what we're going to do today, like when he gets an idea. And then they do a big thing, and their older sister Candace is trying to bust them for doing something that they weren't supposed to do to their parents. And they have a platypus named Perry, and he's actually a secret agent, and he goes off to defeat the evil Dr. Doofenshmirtz from taking over the tri-state area. And eventually something that Perry and Doofenshmirtz are doing will come back and cause whatever Phineas and Ferb were doing to go away right before Candace can bust them to their parents. And that's every episode. So kids can <laughs> get a good feel for what's going to happen. They can have an expectation and, and can kind of learn the basics of even narrative structure from a young age. Wow. While parents can just enjoy this is how they did the twist this time. Well, what I like about your description of that show is that it kind of is similar to your what I know is going to, going to be your number one pick in that uh, Phineas starts every show with saying – I know what I want to do today, but I don't want to give it away too much. I'll let you do that here in just a minute. Before I get to my number one pick, I want—I have to mention an honorable mention that would have been on this list had it been a little more accessible. And I'm talking about The Adventures of Pete and Pete on Nickelodeon, one of my favorite shows growing up. And really, there are a lot of jokes and gags in that show that, again, are written for adults. Not that they're not appropriate for kids, but you have this... You have these two brothers that are both named Pete, and the younger one has a, a giant tattoo on his arm that he gets to move and contort whenever he does all sorts of movements with his arm. And just a funny, bizarre show that I wish I could have put on this list, but the only way you can get it is if you hop on eBay or Amazon and, and spend a good amount of money to buy it on DVD. And so, it's maybe not that good. <laughs> oh, come on now, Cole. It I, probably is not as good as I remember it, but it is very entertaining and, and just fun, weird, yeah, entertainment. Cool. I have an honorable mention as well. Okay. Uh, it is very accessible because it's on Netflix, and it is called Beat Bugs. Beat Bugs. Now, this is a show that's, if anything, directed at toddlers. I'm, I'm kind of reaching very much into the kid's bag here. These are just a couple animated bugs that go about and, and have very basic, very preschool animated adventures. But the twist here is that every show is kind of determined by a Beatles song. And really? so they do – they get these real artists to cover a song from the Beatles and that's kind of the driving force. And so right before the episode's going to end when you think that the hero's kind of down on their luck and then right before something good happens, um, a Beatles song plays. And it's kind of fun for adults to see how they incorporate that each time. The title of every episode is whatever the title of that Beatles song is going to be. I'll have to check that out. It's very Interesting. good. All right, Cole. I think we're finally down to our last pick for kids' TV shows that are really entertaining for adults. And I thought we could just do a really quick recap of the shows we've already mentioned. My four picks so far and my honorable mention were Bill Nye the Science Guy, Sean the Sheep, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events on Netflix, Gravity Falls, and my honorable mention, which you can really only get on DVD, so you have to hop on Amazon or eBay to get it, is The Adventures of Pete and Pete from Nickelodeon. And by way of recap for mine, I talked about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Hanna-Barbera's Laugh Olympics, Phineas and Ferb, and Batman, the animated series, with Beat Bugs from Netflix being my honorable mention. Well, my number one pick for... 
kids' TV shows for adults would be a little show that I was not familiar with. Never had had never had I ever heard of it before till I did some digging around on the internet. And it was a Cartoon Network show, and uh, only lasted a few seasons, but I think was was really highly received, at least by critics, called The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. If you're not familiar with this show, it's and basically... And I wasn't either until you made me very familiar with it this week. And now you have thanked me because this is a fantastic show. Absolutely. It's it's basically a less adult version of Ren, Ren and Stimpy, which was always one of my favorite shows growing up. But it is – Ren and Stimpy was always a little creepy, was very out there. This show is very out there, but the animation is so unique and it's very beautiful. So here's basically the premise of The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. The comical seafaring adventures of a young enthusiastic boy, his pirate captain mentor, and the talking whale that raised him from birth. This is a description from IMDb. Uh, the voice cast is excellent. As the uh, pirate captain mentor, you've got Brian Doyle Murray. And if that last name sounds familiar, it's because he is the older brother of Bill Murray. That one I've heard of. Right. And he comes – I mean Bill Murray comes from a whole family of actors and writers and uh, it's it's filled with moments that are so laugh out loud funny that you will be crying because you'll be laughing so hard. If you had to sum up the show's premise I because the premise I just gave you is pretty general, it's basically these two characters, this little boy and this really weird-looking pirate captain uh, trying to find the mystical candy island where they can just go and eat candy to their heart's content. And it's so it's so funny to hear Brian Doyle Murray's voice, which is very kind of ravelly. If you don't know, here here's a uh, where you might know him from. Brian Doyle Murray plays the mayor in the film Groundhog Day. The oh. seer of seers, prognosticator of prognosticators. Just that really gruff voice, okay? Juxtaposed with this little boy who is Flapjack, who has like this really high-pitched, innocent voice. Wow, if you actually go and watch the show, that kind of sounded like it. This Jeff is very doing spot-on impersonations today on the really show. Really innocent voice, trying to find Candy Island. Anyway, check it out. You will cry from laughing, and uh, it's called The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. You can find it on Hulu. You can find it on YouTube TV. You may even be able to find it on Cartoon Network in their archives. But that's my number one pick, Cole. And it is a worthy pick. And, again, one of those shows that we know is good for adults because neither of us watched it until we were adults. And we approve. (laughs) My pick is a show that I watched when I was a child. I took a long break, and then I came back to it as an adult. I've enjoyed it equal amounts both times, and not just for the nostalgia factor, and that is The Animaniacs. Ah, yes. As you alluded to earlier on in our discussion, it has many different segments, one of them being Pinky and the Brain, where they find out what they're going to do today, and of course the answer is try to take over the world. <laughs> 
I'm not quite the voiceover talent that you are, Jeffrey, but this show does have one of the great voices in cartoons, Rob Paulson, not the brain, but Pinky, and then also Wacko Warner. He shows up in Jimmy Neutron, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Tick, so many different cartoons over the years. And now in his spare time, he does this kind of interview show called Talking Tunes, where he sits down with other voiceover guys and they read a script in the voices that they did in cartoons. It's so cool. And speaking of impersonations, the character of Brain is basically an impersonation of Orson Welles. Oh, yes. And they do one of the weirdest episodes is where they do an entire episode where Brain is voicing some old Orson Welles B-roll, like some some of his outtakes (laughs) that didn't make it in there. And as a kid, you watch it, and it's a funny episode. But then when you realize what the premise was behind it and everything that they're doing, it's hilarious because he's just reading these old tapes of Orson Welles. That's interesting. I I don't think I saw that one. Oh, there are some amazing, just weird, off-the-wall episodes of this show. But even the normal ones are very based in Looney Tunes, I guess. I mean, it's Warner Brothers as well. And they just have these different characters that exist in their different worlds. Uh, The Good Feathers are the pigeons in New York that kind of are riffing on the (laughs) Goodfellas. There's, of course, the main characters of the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister and all of their wacky adventures, Pinky and the Brain, Slappy Squirrel, Buttons and Mindy. So many different characters, kind of like how Looney Tunes brought in, you know, Sylvester and Tweety and Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner and they did that for a new generation. It was my generation and it's still so good. It's a solid pick, Cole. Do you feel like it's it's uh, has it aged well? Absolutely, and that's my favorite part about it because I I remember loving the songs and some of just the goofy antics that were in it when I was a little kid. But it is such a smartly written show. In their they do satire just excellently, and a lot of things that they were satiring when I was seven or eight years old, I didn't know. I wasn't familiar with it all. And now I go back and can laugh until I cry. Now you're old enough to appreciate it. I am. Well, it must have aged well enough, or at least there there must be some nostalgia, uh, because there has been an announcement made that in 2020, they are rebooting the series for Hulu. Correct. Steven Spielberg is back. All of the voice actors are back. How do you feel about that, Cole? Uh, I'll check it out. I'm nervous. You know, reboots very rarely work. There's a lot of different Looney Tunes that still manage to make their way onto television that are trying to capture the glory of the original. And I just, I don't know how I feel about some of them. Yeah. And the line from Jurassic Park comes to mind from Jeff Goldblum. They were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think that they should. I got to go Which could also that movie. apply to his own franchise now as well. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. The top 10 kids' TV shows that are great for adults. And you really need to check them out. I know that I'm going to go back and finish watching The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. And I'm not even going to watch it with my kids. How about that? Anyway, stay tuned. When we return, we're going to continue the fun here on Screen Cleaning. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. That, of course, the delightful little jingle from Nickelodeon. Anyone of Jeff or my generation will look back on that fondly. 
Absolutely. You know, my wife grew up in a home where the TV shows they watched as kids all appeared on the Disney Channel. Hmm. I did not really watch the Disney Channel. I was much more a fan of Nickelodeon. In fact, I believe almost all of my favorite kids shows, not counting like the Saturday morning cartoon shows, of course, appeared on Nickelodeon. Yeah, the ones that I watched that were coming out now, excluding Looney Tunes from like the 60s and the 70s, um, were on Nickelodeon for sure. Right. And we still get a lot of quality entertainment from Nickelodeon and Disney. But there's also just a lot of garbage, garbage that my kids partake of, unfortunately. You know, a lot of times I'll come in and they're watching YouTube videos of parents playing with their toys. I don't know. There's something that doesn't sit quite right with me about monetizing your playtime with your kids. Uh, It just seems a little bit wrong. And so it makes us yearn for the olden days when we would just sit down in front of a television and watch cartoons. Now, to be (laughs) fair, some of these shows that I'm going to mention aren't necessarily shows that adults would want to watch today. And in fact, some adults might even call garbage. In fact, I'm pretty sure my mom at one point or another called some of these shows garbage. But we got we we put on our serious hats for the last little segment, and so now we just have our nostalgia glasses firmly on and over our eyes. We just want to look back and remember some of those kids' shows that we loved when we were kids, even if adults don't love them. So as a kid, Cole, what were you watching on Nickelodeon? Oh, my favorite was Rocket Power. So... As, Rocket power. Never as a heard of that kid, one. I wanted to just skateboard and snowboard and do all the cool extreme stuff that they okay. did that Otto and his sister Reggie and Twister and Sam would do on Rocket Power. Now, is this an animated series, live action? Oh, it was very animated because they did flips and tricks on their skateboards and, okay. and rollerblades that were physically impossible shortly. But it was this cool little gang of kids that lived in a cul-de-sac and would play street hockey together and just do all the cool stuff. All right. Well, you started with an obscure pick. I will also share my obscure pick from Nickelodeon. And it was kind of like a kid variety, not a variety show, but like a sketch comedy show. But it also had adults in the cast. Okay. I'm not talking about all that. We're going back so there even was a before different, that. There was another sketch comedy on Nickelodeon that wasn't all that. Right. And it wasn't It wasn't uh, um, The Roundhouse. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I've heard of that it. That was like a musical sketch show. Sure. Not um, The Amanda Show, which was a spinoff no, from all that. No, not no. Drake or Josh, which was another spinoff of all that. No. This one had some really interesting recurring sketches. And they had one man portraying all these different characters and then this whole cast of kid characters as well. A lot of their uh, recurring sketches would involve a firing squad where there's some sort of a joke set up and a punchline before there's this fire before this person is executed, okay. which is kind of an interesting thing for a kid's show. <laughs> there was also the uh, the school lunch guy whose name was Barf. Because his food would always cause the kids to barf. Also, another interesting thing. This is starting to come back to me now. Right, Jeff. there are a lot of a uh, lot of people being slimed on Nickelodeon. This is way back when you know sliming was a big thing on Nickelodeon. Sliming then, isn't still a big thing on Nickelodeon. I thought I thought Nickelodeon was the house of slime. I know, but this is back when it was excessive. Oh. Um, and then there was also a recurring sketch where kids would be. Uh, inside these lockers and then like one by one they would like pop out 
talk to each other, and then they'd pop back in, and then somebody from a different locker would come out and say something. Gotcha. So basically a lot of sketches to just set up these really quick one-liners. And nice. it was a show called You Can't Do That on Television. I do remember it now, Jeff. Great yeah. pick. And it's it's kind of funny that, you know, a kid's show would be called You Can't Do That on Television because... As they did it on television. Right. <laughs> and, it, you know, it makes it sound like it's an adult show, like George Carlin's The Seven Words You Can't Say on Television. <laughs> sure. You know, not something we're going to talk about. What else did you watch on Nickelodeon? So I'm glad you brought up Slime because I'm going to transition into the Nickelodeon games and sports yes, category. Yes, I know where you're going. It was an entire sh- what. I, I have a lot of options to pull from. Okay, okay. So just just wait to mm-hmm. see which one I choose. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a whole channel on the Dish Network that was devoted to these Nickelodeon game shows that aired just on normal Nick in the 1990s. Um, shows like Guts, Global yes. Guts. Um, yes. Do you have it? Guts. Yes. Guts. Which we remember. With Mike O'Malley (laughs) as the host. And some British lady as the referee. Mora Oh, there you go. I'm pretty sure. This is coming. Nostalgia is a powerful thing, kids. Guts was amazing. I loved it. Figure It Out was the one that really introduced me to Slime. Because it was was basically one of those panel game shows from the 1950s. Like, I've Got a Secret. um, But with kids Mm. and with Slime. Which made it even better. But my all-time favorite game show to come out of the Nickelodeon property was... Was, of course, Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yes! I remember that one as well. With the many different teams, green was my favorite color as a little kid, so I would always root for the green monkeys no matter what. And (laughs) they would start off by doing this cool physical thing, and then it tested your mind. Um, Olmac, the temple guardian guy would tell a story and the kids could kind of play along at home where you remember what he's telling in the story and then he ask you questions about it so it was intellectually engaging which is good for a kid's show right yeah and then of course the temple run at the end was always exciting i thought you were gonna say double dare and family double dare double dare 2000 right i was so disappointed as a kid watching that show like the picture finders keepers i (laughs) All well, of these shows. My dreams were crushed even before I could really formulate a dream because I watched those shows and realized, oh, there are two parents and two kids, so you can only have two kids in your family to be on that show. <laughs> well, I didn't quite understand how television worked. Yeah. <laughs> family Double Dare, it did seem like every single episode was mom, dad, two kids. So I mentioned earlier shows that parents might consider garbage. I certainly watched one as a kid that – I'm grateful my parents didn't really know I was watching, or if they did, thank goodness they didn't say anything, because they certainly had grounds to object to a little show called Ren and Stimpy. Sure. This was, aside from The Simpsons, my favorite cartoon on television. There were, you saw images and heard noises and witnessed stories pan out that you never in a million years could imagine would be acceptable for a kid's television show. And I believe I believe at one point Ren and Stimpy could be seen on MTV. So that kind of gives you an idea of the content that was on the show. Now, to be fair to Ren and Stimpy, there are elements of this type of humor that are seen in other types of shows like Flapjack that we just mentioned mm-hmm. and even SpongeBob SquarePants. I've oh, seen some of these elements of humor. There's plenty of kind of gross-out humor, right. which kids love. Yeah. So oh, the, it was just so bizarre. I, I think if a parent could equate it to something 
not to say that parents are the only ones that would have experience in this, but somebody might watch it and think, this is like a bad drug trip. Again, I don't have any experience Animation in that. Animation was very weird, kind of throw you off. Right. And this was a very controversial cartoon. You had some very upset parents sending in letters, demanding that it be taken off the air. And eventually it was, but I'll always have my memories. I've got one last show, and it combines two of my other favorites because I'm going to cheat a little bit. Okay. After the Nickelodeon movie, The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron, there was a TV show based on it. Around the same time, there was another show that I loved called The Fairly Odd Parents starring Timmy Turner. Hmm. And once a year, it seemed like there for a glorious three years, we got the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour (laughs) where they would come together and Jimmy and Timmy would switch worlds and go into each other's animation styles and have fun adventures. And their kind of side characters and their friends would each um, sometimes go into different worlds and get animated differently, all trying to figure out the cross-section between science and magic as these two heroes dealt with in their normal television shows. Interesting. The I Jimmy never, Timmy Power Hour. Never heard of that one either. They were they were just these little special crossover specials, which I'm a huge fan of, as I mentioned, but the Hanna-Barbera universe and the Wacky Races, I, I really enjoyed as a kid when things smashed together. Okay. Well, I'm going to mention one more that probably has not aged well, which is why it didn't make my list of shows that parents can enjoy too. But as a kid, it was very special for me. And it's one of those things where you don't realize until many years later that it actually wasn't on for all that long. It was, I think it had two seasons and maybe 26 episodes. And it was a show that I, I wish it was my experience as a kid because... It takes place at a summer camp. And outside of Boy Scout summer camps where you're spending the entire time trying to earn merit badges, uh, I never got to go to a summer camp. And so to me, it was the coolest thing in the world to see these kids getting into all sorts of mischief at at the summer camp where their counselor was named Ugg. And one of the other character, one of the kids was named Donkey Lips, and there was another one called Budnick. So these really great names. Honestly, you and I had a very different experience with this show because, if I'm remembering correctly, "Salute Your Shorts" is the reason why I did not want to go to camp as what? a little kid. Come on, now why not? I I didn't love the outdoors. Bugs were creepy, and, and sure well, they, they were cabins. having fun. They had cabins, but yeah, that was never really my dream as a little kid. Cole. There's an episode that they devote entirely to this water balloon capture the flag game. And it was the greatest thing I've ever seen on TV as a kid. There was also an episode that had a pie fight in it, an episode where they're like sneaking out of camp to go to the movies. There's a Halloween episode. There are some classic episodes of the show. And just the name of the show itself is enough to pique your curiosity. Salute your shorts. Yep. And uh, the director of the camp was this, I think his name was Dr. Khan. You never saw him, but he was always making announcements over the intercom. So if you can ever find an episode of Salute Your Shorts that's not bootlegged, then you're going to be in heaven. Well, at as least long if, as you have nostalgia <laughs> to hold to. Right. If you, had, if you didn't watch it as a kid, you will probably want to pass. But uh, now that we've taken a walk down memory lane, we are going to come back to screen cleaning to give you an update on our summer movie box office. 
That's up next here on Screen Cleaning. We hold you in our hearts And when we think about you It makes me want to fart <laughs> It's I hope we never part Now get it right or pay the price That, of course, is the new soundtrack for our summer movie box office report. It's a scoreboard each week as we update you which movies are doing the best in the summer box office. Jeff and I, of course, made our predictions as what would happen at the beginning of the summer, and we'll update you every week. Now, sadly for The Intruder, it has quickly been bumped out of the top ten. It was a nice it's, – it's still top ten. I guess it's, it's still the top ten. It's not number one anymore. It won't end up in the top ten. We'll just say that because a little movie called uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu – Earned $58 million over its opening weekend. And yet still could not bump Avengers from the top spot of the weekend. Amazingly enough, in its third weekend, still going strong. I will admit, though, I thought Avengers Endgame would have made a little more in its third weekend. But I guess pretty much everybody and their dog has seen it by now. But it's also all about the competition, Jeff. No, okay. I, I did a little bit of research for you because the box office and statistics and numbers in general are one of my favorite things. Yes. When you compare Endgame to some of these other movies that are at the top of the box office, right? It's chasing down Avatar currently. It's chasing domestically Star Wars The Force Awakens. These are some movies that aired originally at the end of the year and took advantage of the Christmas and holiday season to continue to make some money and then took advantage of a weak January as we often lament on, I often lament here on Screen Cleaning, the dearth of movies we get in the month of January. They stayed on top for longer. I think if there's anything that will hinder Endgame in its total box office-ness, it will be the fact that it has to go up against a gauntlet of summer movies Mm. to continue to make money. Well, there's not going to be anything released this summer that's going to make as much money as Avengers Endgame. But But some will keep it from making as much as maybe those Christmas time releases. So for perspective here, right? Yeah. Star Wars The Force Awakens came out towards the end of 2015. And in its third week, right, Mm -hmm. it was at the beginning of January. I remember it fondly because it was right around my birthday. I was going to see Star Wars for like the third or fourth time. Right. Because the movies that debuted that weekend for the first time were Anomalisa in four theaters. Anomalisa. Which was a very indie movie, um, a weirdly animated movie. Yes. That was 34th in box office earnings that weekend. Wow. Making only $210,000. Okay. Among its four theaters. Interesting. Star Wars' main competition was still just other movies that it had already beaten. Going back all the way to Avatar in 2009, in its third weekend, also right around my birthday, also when I was seeing Avatar for the second or third time in theaters, the movie that came out for the first time that weekend was The White Ribbon that made (laughs) $85,000. Okay. So the competition in the summer— It's more than I make in—well, I don't know if that's true, but— The competition that it gets in the summer is a little different from some of these other top earners all time. And I think that is what Endgame is really going up against. Cole, I'm like you in that I've always watched the box office returns. I believe this or not, uh, as a kid, 
I would take what was then called the calendar section, which is now, I don't know what it's called in the, from the Los Angeles Times, but I would cut out the box office chart and I would paste it in this big notebook and I kept track of all these returns. I mean, if you ask me to this day, there are still certain movies that I can tell you how much it made opening weekend. I can tell you that Liar Liar starring Jim Carrey when it opened made $33 million over the weekend. And that was considered an amazing opening weekend back in, uh, I guess it would have been late 90s, was $33 million. An amazing opening weekend. Now, if you're less than $100 million... You're not Ugh. a big box office thing. And which Detective Pikachu was right around 50. That's okay, but it is, like I said, just stiff competition for well, Avengers Endgame. Really, a good rule of thumb. You know how, like, when you go out to eat, my dad always told me that you can always tell how much tip to pay. You just double the tax. He, that was his kind of rule of thumb for me. Mm. Uh, as far as movies and how to gauge whether it was successful, you really need to double the amount of money it costs to make the movie. Which Avengers took care of in its first weekend. <laughs> yeah, worldwide it certainly did. Well, okay, there you have it. So Cole and I, in our office, we've got a leaderboard, and Detective Pikachu currently sits at number one with $58 million and counting. And a movie we both included in our top ten. So... Now, as we are wont to do on each episode of Screen Cleaning, we're going to do a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. We've been speaking on the program today about television shows that are meant for kids but that are also entertaining for adults. And we've also been talking about some of the shows that probably aren't entertaining as an adult anymore. But if you grew up with them, the nostalgia is going to kick in, right? So we thought it would only be fitting to mention a film that came out last year. Surprisingly, was not nominated for the Academy Award for Best Documentary. Which Jeff will never get over. No, because it should have won. It should have won the Oscar. And it's interesting to hear me say that because Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was not necessarily a show I watched a lot of. I have fleeting memories of him doing the dolls and things like that, but I wasn't by any means a diehard fan. However, I am a diehard fan of the documentary won't you be my neighbor? This, I would. This, yeah, thank you, Cole. This movie is also it also holds a special place in Cole's heart as well, but based or based purely on where it is, where it's from, where it originates from, right, Cole? Western Pennsylvania's own Mister Rogers started off on PBS there in Pittsburgh, and it is a show that I do have a lot of nostalgic ties to. It was the first one I mentioned in shows that adults can enjoy as well, and it kind of crosses those boundaries. It was a good kind of nostalgia that I remember back, and yes, I do highly recommend the documentary about it as well. And if you're like me and you didn't really watch every episode of it, or if you weren't necessarily the biggest fan, don't let that dissuade you from watching this film. My dad told me recently that my mother refused to watch this film because she was never really a big fan of Mr. Rogers. You don't I, have to be. I called them up and I said, you don't understand. You have to watch this movie. How many other movies have you seen recently that have required something of you as a viewer? And I'm not just talking about endurance, like in the case of Endgame. I'm talking about 
you leave the movie thinking, you know what? I need to make some changes in my life. You know what? I want to be a better person. You know what? I've been thinking about going over to my neighbor's house and bringing them a plate of brownies or something. I just want to be the kid that Mr. Rogers always told me that I was. Oh. I love love just his spirit and everything that he would bring every week to that show. And I was reminded of it fondly when I watched the documentary. And I think adults need that as much as kids, to hear that they're wanted, to hear that they're loved. And that you want to be or that uh, somebody wants you to be their neighbor. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We'll be back next week to give you an update on the summer movie box office. And the rest of the good in the entertainment world. We're here each and every Saturday, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on BYU Radio.